one of the many beautiful phrases to come to us from the Sacred Valley Council was that phrase that John Paul II loved to quote, which is the Christ reveals man to man. And what exactly does he mean by that? He means that Christ the man, because the Son of God, the eternal pre-existent Son of God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, became man, became one of us, became one of us in every respect, except that he did not sin. And sin is foreign to humanity anyway, so we don't really need to put that disclaimer, um, because to be truly human is not to sin. So when the Vatican Council says Christ reveals man to man, it means that it is in Christ, it is in Christ that we see the full image, and only in him do we see the full image of what we are meant to be. And therefore, this is why Jesus himself says that he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. He came to fulfill the law, because in his person he fulfills it. And this is why, as we read through the Gospels, one of the things that we will always notice is that Jesus doesn't propose a stricter following of the law. That's not what Jesus proposes. He proposes himself. He proposes discipleship of himself as the way to the fullness of life. This is what Jesus proposes. This is the life that he offers us. Well, let us take a look at the first reading. So the first reading tells us something very, very important and very interesting. And that is, it tells us that even from the beginning, even from beginning, the law, the law was not something alien to man. It was not an imposition upon man of an authority that was foreign to him. But it was actually an announcement to man of the behavior that is appropriate to him. It is an announcement to man. It is, God is telling us through the law of the Old Testament, God was telling his people how to behave in a way that was appropriate to their humanity. That's why um, Moses says to the people, the law isn't something far away that you need experts to go and find it for you. The law is written in your minds and in your hearts. And this is ultimately true. This is ultimately true because the law, whatever law it is, is always an attempt to direct us to what is good and true, to direct us to a life that is good. And the divine law of the Ten Commandments, which are at the heart of the law of the Old Testament, are a description of the appropriate behavior of a human being. But then St. Paul adds something new to that, because St. Paul was a man who really tried that road. St. Paul was a man who took the law very, very seriously. And he worked very hard in all of his life to fulfill the law and to obey every one of its precepts and every implication that the people of Israel were very good at finding within the laws, so much that every single aspect of life was codified. St. Paul tried that route, and he was busily and sincerely engaged in that route when he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And that meeting with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus changed everything. It changed everything. Maybe we shouldn't say it changed everything, but we should say that it made everything possible. It made, it made that which Paul was striving after 
possible. Because instead of meeting a stricter interpretation of the law, he met the one who is the author of everything, the one who made everything. And in that, that explains why we have this second reading in which St. Paul is saying to the Colossians, for in, him, uh, for in him were created all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Everything was created through him. And therefore, ultimately, the law is the law, is the law of, of nature, the, law, the, the, the natural law, as theologians like to call it, and even the law of nature, like the law of gravity and the law, all the law, all of the law, is ultimately comes from him. It has its root in him. And this is the thing, what St. Paul met, the one that St. Paul met on the road to Emmaus was not a legislator. He was the law itself. He was, he was reality itself. He was God made visible. He was the author of everything made visible. He was the origin of every single thing made visible. And therefore, the fundamental law becomes discipleship of Christ. Because in discipleship of Christ, the law is made perfect. And the human being is made free. Because in discipleship of Christ, the law that is, as the first reading said, is in our minds and in our hearts, not something distant and far away to be discerned by experts, but rather something inside each one of us. In discipleship Christ, all of that, to use that great word of Jesus, is fulfilled. Now, let us take a look at the gospel. The gospel which is so familiar to us, the famous parable of the Samaritan uh, who looked after this man who had been beaten. The fathers of the church, just very quickly to identify the main characters in this uh, story, for the fathers of the church, the good Samaritan is Jesus. The beaten man at the side of the road is fallen humanity, a slave to sin. These are the two protagonists in this story. The robbers who beat him are Satan and his raid upon the human race and his perversion of the human race from the simple uh, preference for what is good to a complicated, self-destructive way of trying to find our own way through reality, independent of God who made it. So these are the personages in this story. And therefore, the good Samaritan who binds and wraps the wounds of the one who uh, has been beaten and defeated by Satan is Christ who comes to save us, Christ who gives his life for us, Christ who comes in order to communicate to us that life. I came so that you might have life. He came to give us that life, which is reconciliation with the Father. He, came, he comes to give us that life, uh, which is the fullness of life for which we are made, the only life for which we are made. Nothing else is adequate to the heart of man. Nothing but discipleship of Christ is adequate to the heart of man. This statement could seem voluntaristic or it could seem gratuitous, but it is something that we are all invited to discover and test. Is there a better way? Is there a better way than the way that Christ points out for us? And if there is not, why are we so reticent in following it? Why do we so often listen to Satan? who wants simply to beat us up and leave us defeated at the side of the road 
unable to reach the goal of our happiness and our fullness. My friends, this is a challenge to you and me. Have we found a better way? I think perhaps we could say that by our gathering around the altar this morning, at least for us particularly here in this church, we, have, we are very, very uh, strongly inclined to think that there is not a better way. It's for that reason that we're here. But yet somehow or other, we still hedge our bets. We still hedge our bets. We still need to have a plan B. And sometimes that plan B becomes the main plan in our life. And we leave the Lord behind. And we need to be gathered, brought to an inn, and bound up and healed from our wounds. And provision made for our future as this figure of the Good Samaritan who represents Jesus in this parable. We need to be bound up by him. And for that, we have a special sacrament, the sacrament of reconciliation. That name, the sacrament of reconciliation, identifies exactly what it is that the sacrament of confession does. It reconciles us with the Father. It accomplishes sacramentally the grace that Christ gave, came to bring to the world. So let us ask that we may be disciples of Christ and that being in disciples of Christ, we may know, we may know that being disciples in Christ, all things will be taken care of. But Father, you never talked about our need to be charitable and look after the poor and the lonely and the destitute. Surely that's what this parable is all about. It's about, um, it's about prejudice and about helping the poor. Yes, it is about those things, but it's about those things within the context of the faith, within the context of the work that God is doing. The work that God is doing, because we who are baptized are incorporated into his work, which isn't just the binding of wounds, it is the healing of souls. It is the reconciliation of the world with God. And these good, these good works, so important in our time, these works of charity and this breaking down of the walls of prejudice represented by the expectation of the people listening to this parable. This is Samaritan would be the last one to look after the beaten man while the Pharisee or the Levite should really be the first. But in actual fact, they aren't. That's what makes it a prejudice. And then this caring act of goodness for which the good Samaritan is remembered will be multiplied in our midst, not by a doubling down on our efforts, but on a humble, simple discipleship of Christ and are allowing him to be the one who gives the criterion to our life and opens our eyes to see, recognize, and be moved by the needs of our brothers and sisters.